0: Good morning, Seven Mile Road. Uh, It really is a great joy to be able to gather together again like this this morning, to be able to sit under God's word, to worship together. I want to say a special welcome to those who are joining us through live stream. This feels very weird to do this kind of thing, uh, but we're really grateful that uh, you are able to tune in, uh, even though you're not able to be here this morning with us. We're grateful for that. Uh, Let me just pray as we jump in uh, and ask God for his help as we look to his word. Lord, we really do need to hear from you this morning, and we don't need to hear from man. And so we are grateful that you have given us your word. We ask that you would use your word to shape us, to encourage us, to comfort us, to correct us, that we would love you more and also realize how much you love us. So we are praying and asking again, Lord, would you speak to us? We are eager to hear from you. We're grateful that you hear these prayers and that you answer. Uh, It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Some of wrote uh, what a crazy year 2020 has been for all of us. You know, there's probably a million words that we could use to try to describe what this last year has been like for us. A million ways that we could try to explain what life has been like. But if I had to choose just one word, I think the word that I would use is uncertainty. If I had to try to summarize these last seven months, I would say that it has been, it has been filled with uncertainty of many kinds. Uh, It was probably the most pronounced feeling that I felt seven months ago. And even today, I would say, it's sort of the the lingering feeling that I keep on feeling as well, seven months later. Uh, I have felt uncertain about all kinds of things. Uh, Uncertain about the the nature of the virus. Uh, Uncertain about how to stay safe and healthy during all that's going on. Uh, Uncertain about what kind of rules and guidelines we should or shouldn't be following. But it wasn't even just the virus. Uh, there was uncertainty about where we are as a country as well. Uh, uncertain about how we're dealing with issues that are going on in our country, issues like race, or how we should be responding to issues of injustice in our country. Uncertainty even about the political future of our country, where are we headed in terms of politics. You see, you see a pile of these things kind of piled together and it builds a mountain, a big mountain of uncertainty. And what I would say is that what has probably felt most uncertain to me in the midst of all of this is this. What does it look like for God to continue his work in this world in the midst of so much uncertainty? What does that look like? Because can I be honest? Sometimes I look at the church around the world and it really is hard to see how his mission is continuing in a time like this. I mean, think about Seven Mile Road. I mean, we spent months just trying to figure out how we can gather together, how we can be together and be able to worship God together. And now we're sitting in pods six feet away from each other. Some of us are tuning in from home and this is sort of the the best that we were able to come up with at this point. Or for many of us, the closest that we have gotten to being able to see each other is through Zoom. That's the best we can do. I mean, think about it. People have lost loved ones in our community. Babies have been born in our community. And the best that we can do to be with each other is to meet over video conference. Or or think about mission for a second. I mean, how do we tell somebody about Jesus? Or how do we love or care for someone in our community when health and safety are such a concern? How do we do that? Or, you know, set aside the virus again. Let's set it aside. It really has felt like the church in America is more divided than it has ever been before. It feels that way. Because we're divided over all kinds of things. We're divided over how we should respond to this virus. We're divided over how we should be voting, how we should deal with injustice, how we should respond to racism. And when you step back and you look, it really does feel like there's this mountain of uncertainty in front of us. And you can't help but wonder, Lord, how will your mission continue at a time like this? How will you accomplish your work in the midst of so much uncertainty in our world? And that's why I'm so grateful for this text that we're looking at this morning. Because you see, the details of this text may be very different, but I imagine that the people of this text were asking some of the very questions that we find ourselves asking. Because you see, things in Israel were a mess. The kingdom was divided, the temple where they went to be with God was destroyed. There was one horrible king after another in leadership And then Israel itself was a mess. They were knee deep in idolatry. Instead of worshiping the one true and living God, they were worshiping Baal and golden calves, all kinds of things. And then one day, in the midst of all the unbrokenness and all the uncertainty, it felt like God was finally bringing some resolution because the prophet Elijah walks into the scene. Now, if you've been with us, For the past few weeks, and you've been following along in this study of 1 Kings and 2 Kings, you know that Elijah was sort of the the stud of prophets, right? His ministry was only two years long, but his resume felt like it was a mile long. Because in in 24 months, you see Elijah doing all kinds of things. He tells the Israelites that they need to repent. They need to turn away from idols. He even goes straight to leadership. He confronts King Ahab and tells him of, of his idolatry. He prays against rain, and guess what happens? There was a drought for three years. Then he prays for rain, and guess what happens? There's this huge thunderstorm. He he raises a boy from the dead. He brings down fire from heaven. The list just goes on and on and on and on. And you watch this prophet's life, and there's sort of no denying it. God is at work. You see it. It feels like the the trajectory is changing. It feels like the, the tide is shifting and you see it and you know God is up to something. And then out of nowhere comes this huge blow because in 1 Kings 19, you hear God telling Elijah that his time is up, that in two short years, Elijah was going to be replaced after all the good that has happened through this prophet, his time would be coming to an end. And it says that instead, a man named Elijah was going to take over as prophet. Now, you read that and you can't help but wonder why. Why? I mean, God is at work through Elijah, right? You see God's presence and his power through the miracles. I mean, you hear God's voice. You hear God's truth every time Elijah opens up his mouth. But now all of a sudden it's like God has a change of plans and you see that and you can't help but feel a sense of uncertainty. In fact, listen to what it says in 2 Kings chapter 2, the passage that Anu just read for us. The first three verses, this is what it says. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elijah. And said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, yes, I know it. Keep quiet. What's happening here? Well, basically, Elijah has about 24 hours left on this planet. And it's sort of like everybody in the room knows that it's about to happen. Elijah knows it. Elijah knows it. The sons of the prophets. In fact, the sons of the prophets, basically those are just uh, prophets who are in training. The sons of the prophets, they go up to Elisha and they say, hey, don't you know what's about to happen today? Don't you know that your master is going to be taken away? And Elisha says, yeah, I know it, just be quiet. It's like one of those moments, I don't know if you've ever been in it, it's one of those moments where everyone in the room knows that something's about to happen, but nobody wants to talk about it. You know that feeling? It's like you can feel the tension in the air, as as people are around. You can can know that everybody's sort of on edge as it's happening. And that's because everyone knows there is a sense of uncertainty about what's about to happen. Everyone has questions all around them. Will Elijah be as powerful as Elijah? Will he be as bold? What will happen to Israel? I mean, how will people know and worship the true God if Elijah is gone? It feels like there's a mountain of uncertainty in front of these folks as they're standing around. And you can't help but ask, Lord, how will you continue your work in the midst of so much uncertainty? How will that happen? Well, like I said, the details are very different in this passage than what we're experiencing. But I think the truths in this passage are things that you and I need to hear today. Truth that is absolutely certain in the midst of an uncertain world. So I wrote, as we think about the mission of God, there are three things that this text tells us that we can be certain of in the midst of so much uncertainty. Three things that we can bank our entire lives on. And so we want to consider those three things one at a time. And so here is the first one. Here's the first truth that we can bank our lives on. We can be certain that the God who worked in history is still at work today. We can be certain that the God who worked in history is still at work today. Look at verses seven and eight with me. It says, 50 men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water and the water was parted to the one side and to the other, to the two of them could go on dry land ground. Now, if you're somewhat familiar with this passage or with the Bible rather in general, you hear that and it really does sound familiar to you. Listen to it again. Elijah strikes the water, the Jordan River begins to part, and it's so dry that they're able to cross over on dry ground. Now, if you're Elijah or Elisha or of the 50 men of the sons of prophets, you see this happening before you And you can't help but be reminded of things that you have heard about before. You can't help but be reminded of Moses and the parting of the Red Sea. Or or you can't help but be reminded of even Joshua and the parting of this very river, the Jordan River that they're standing in front of right now. I mean, literally, these are stories that they had only heard of in their life. I imagine these are stories that their parents used to tell them as they tucked them into bed. These are stories that they heard of. I imagine what they witnessed were just reflections of things that happened 600 years ago. I mean, it's one thing to hear it as a bedtime story, or it's one thing to read it in a book, but it's a whole different thing to witness it with your own eyes. Because you see, I, I imagine the folks in Elijah's time, yes, they would have known these stories And they would have known that God had done things like this in the past. But I imagine that they struggled whether or not he still did things like this in the present day, in their own age. I imagine some of them would have said, you know, this is a different time. This is the Iron Age, right? I mean, the the cultural problems are different than it was 600 years ago during Moses' time. The political issues are night and day different. The trials and issues that we're going through are are so different than what Moses experienced in the Bronze Age. I mean, I'm sure that God did some amazing things in the past, but it's hard to imagine that he's still doing amazing things today. And that's why I think it's really important for us to realize that what we're reading here in verses 7 and 8 is way more than just God showing off. You see... It's more than just God pulling together some theatrics to to put on a show. No, this, what we're reading here, was the love of God. It was the love of God reminding Elijah and Elijah and these 50 men that while there is much uncertainty in the world around them, that they can be absolutely certain that God is still at work. You see, it's almost as if as they walk through the, the River Jordan, And as they saw these walls of water to the left and to the right of them, it's almost like they could also see the invisible hands of God holding back that water. It's almost like as they walked by, they were reminded that God wasn't just simply active in the past or that God wasn't simply doing things in the pages of Scripture. As they walked by, they were reminded that He is still active and He is still present and He is still doing real work in a real world today. That's what He's doing. And Seven mile road, I think, if we were to be honest, we too could use that sort of reminder in our own lives. Because I think we could be just like the people of Elijah. You know, we have our Bibles in front of us right now. We're looking at it in our phone and we read the story and we want to say, fine, I'll grant it to you. You know, like God did some amazing things in the past. Or obviously God was undoubtedly at work in the pages of scripture. But in all honesty, if we could just be honest with each other, is he still at work today? I mean, in the midst of all the uncertainty that we're experiencing as a world, is he still active? Well, 7 Mile Road, I I really do pray and and I I hope that God would give us the eyes to see the invisible hand of God at work among us. I pray that he would, because if he opened up our eyes, we would be able to see that he is still active and still working, even among us, even today. Like, let me give you a few examples. Like this week alone, I got a text from one of you who told me that you're starting to meet up with one of your friends and you're telling them about the gospel. This is a friend that that doesn't know Jesus and you're meeting with them during lunch week after week and it's going so well that you're getting ready to now read the Bible with them and it's going so well that in fact one of their roommates may join you as you read the Bible with them that's what I heard or I could tell you another story about one of our families one of our own families who is really praying that the Lord would make a way for them to be able to plant a church here in Philadelphia so that many people from all over the world would be able to hear and believe the gospel. One of our own families is doing that. Or I would even share with you, how I have a friend who I haven't spoken to in over 10 years, randomly reached out to me and said that he's going through some really hard times in life and he wants to, to consider things with me. And we're regularly meeting up to be able to talk through Jesus and who he is and what he is doing. Or I would tell you about couples in our, in our church who have struggled with marriage for such a long time, just in a really bad place, but during these last several months, they're finally getting help, and they're finally starting to see things change within their marriage, and that's happening in our community. Or I could tell you about the GCMs that are around North Hills, and they would tell you that their relationship with that community looks so different and so much stronger than it ever has, that soon we will have a really meaningful opportunity to provide help and support, and even gospel presence and truth to the families in the North Hills area. Or some of our men would tell you that they meet together regularly to believe the gospel, to think through the gospel, and to actively fight against sexual sin in their lives. People in our community are doing that. Or we would tell you that over the last last year, we've been meeting with men in our church and thinking through God's calling on their life. And we are really hopeful that God will raise up even more elders to shepherd this flock that he's entrusted to us. Or we could tell you that God has worked through our church over this past year in the summer to eliminate $3.2 million worth of medical debt for 1,500 families of people in our own city. That's been eliminated through work that he is doing. Or we could tell you about how we are able to provide food and ongoing resources to families in our city, in our city of Philadelphia, through our partnership with Caring for Friends. Seven Mile Road, those are just a few examples from a tiny little church on Welsh Road in northeast Philadelphia. Could you imagine if God gave us eyes to see for a moment, all the work that he is doing through his people all over the globe, what would that sight be like? Could you imagine? Somehow wrote, in the midst of all of this uncertainty, we can be certain that the God who worked in history is still at work today. May he give us eyes to be able to see that more clear, clearly in our community and around the world. And that leads us to our second point. It's this. That in the midst of uncertainty, we can be certain that we have what we need the most, namely God himself. That in the midst of uncertainty, we can be certain that we have what we need the most, namely God himself. Look at verse 9. It says, When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. So what's happening here? Well, it seems like uh, Elijah is just moments away from being taken away. And that reality leads him to ask Elisha, listen, what what can I do for you, right? In other words, what can I help you with or what can I give you? It's sort of like the question you would ask your replacement if you're about to leave work. You're basically saying, listen, I'm about to go now and now it's gonna be all on you. So what can I do for you? What do you need? And you see, Elijah's response here is so instructive to us. Because in this moment of great uncertainty, in this moment when in all reality, he probably has a million needs and a million questions, his one request is this. He says, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. Now, for us, that's confusing language. We don't use language like that anymore anymore. But what does Elijah mean by a double portion of your spirit? You see, Elijah is using inheritance language here. In other words, this is what the eldest son in a family would ask his father. He's asking for a blessing. Elijah is saying, listen, now that you're leaving, please bless me with your inheritance. But what Elijah is asking for here is not land or wealth or riches of any kind. Instead, he's asking for a double portion of of God's spirit. He's saying, listen, this spirit that has operated through you, I'm asking, would, would I be able to receive that spirit? Listen to how one commentator explains it. He says, in making this request, Elijah was asking for spiritual power from the Lord, which is beyond his own capabilities, in order to fulfill what he has been called to do. Church, that's really instructive to us. You know why? Because in this year of uncertainty, when we're trying to figure out how will God continue his work in the midst of so much chaos, what we ultimately need is not more resources or not more strategies or not even more skills to be able to do the things we need to do. What we need more than anything else is more of God himself. That's our greatest name. And listen, That's really instructive to me, even personally. Because you see, back in March, if Elijah was to ask me that same question, what do you need? I'm pretty sure that I would have a a running list of items that I would provide him with. I I would say things like, you know what? I need somebody to teach me how to do live stream because I have no clue what I'm doing. I have no clue how somebody at home is gonna be able to see what we're doing here. Somebody needs to teach me. Or I would say, I need a a bigger budget because we need to buy things like cameras or or mics or software to be able to keep this thing going because we don't know how else to do it. Or we would say, you know what, we need to think through how we're gonna do community because we can't even see each other face to face. How do we keep people engaged and and, and feel like they're a part of something still? Or I would say, you know what, I need resources, all kinds of resources, books or seminars that can help me think through racial injustice in our world and, and figure out how do we respond to what's going on in our country. Or I would say, hey, we need a strategy to figure out how do we stay focused on mission in the midst of what's going on? When everything around us is basically shut down, how do we tell people about Jesus? You see, I would have a never-ending list. But Now listen, those things that I mentioned, they're obviously good and necessary and helpful. They're just necessary things. But here's what Elisha reminds me of. That to do God's work, what I need more than anything else is actually God's spirit. Above all of those things, I need for his spirit to be the power through which God's work is done. Because you see, God's people will always do God's work in one of two ways. Either by depending on themselves and the flesh, or they will depend on God himself. God's people will always do God's work either by depending on themselves, their resources, their skills, their wisdom, their power, or they will depend on the spirit of God himself. In fact, listen to how a man named Francis Schaeffer says it. He says this, he says, Because the world is hard, confronting it without God's power is an overwhelming prospect. As a Christian, we must comprehend our need for spiritual power. If we think we can operate on our own, if we do not comprehend the need for power beyond our own, we won't ever get started. If we think the power of our own cleverness is enough, we will be at a standstill. And then he says this. He says, The central problem of our age is not liberalism or modernism nor the threat of communism or rationalism. The real problem is this. The church of Jesus Christ, individually and corporally, tending to do the Lord's work in the power of the flesh rather than the power of the spirit. That's so helpful. And I would say Elijah understood that. And that's why that in the moment of his greatest uncertainty, he asked for his greatest need for God himself. So we need to understand that as well. We won't be able to grow in our love for Jesus. We won't be able to tell other people about this great gospel, this truth. We won't be able to grow deeper in community. We won't be able to respond to all that's going on in the world around us without the Spirit's power, without his strength, and without God himself working through us. In fact, Jesus says as much. In John 15, 5, he says, for apart from me, you can't do anything. Church, may God help us to believe that. Apart from him, we can't do anything. But would you also hear, Seven Ma'arun, that our God is so amazing? He is so wonderful. His love for us is so comprehensive that not only did he deal with our sin through the cross in the past, and not only does he provide you with assurance through the resurrection for your future, he also gave you strength and power by his Spirit for the present. His love is so comprehensive for you that he has taken care of all of it, your past, your future, and your present. mile Ruh, would you hear this? We do have everything that we need for today. For this moment of uncertainty, we have everything that we need because we have God himself. Listen to what Jesus says right, about, right before he was about to be taken up. This is Matthew 28. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded to you. And then he says this, And behold, I am with you always. I am with you always to the end of the age. What greater certainty do we need? What greater promise should we bank our lives on? God has promised he will be with us. Till the end of the age. Church, we are in need of so many things, but we can be certain of this that we have what we need the most, namely God Himself. He has promised that He will be with us till the end. And so we should be praying may we depend more on Him in these days and less on ourselves. And that brings us to our final point that in the midst of uncertainty, We can be certain that his work is not dependent on any one person. That in the midst of uncertainty, we can be certain that his work is not dependent on any one person. Look at verse 14 with me. He says, Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other. And Elijah went over. Now the men of the city said to Elijah, that's starting in verse 19. Now the men of the city said to Elijah, Behold, the situation of this city is pleasant as my Lord sees, but the water is bad, the land is unfruitful. He said, Bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went to the spring of water and he threw threw salt in it and said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From now on, neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. So the water has been healed to this day according to the word that Elijah spoke. So what are we reading here? You see a few verses before where we got started in verse 11, we find out that Elijah has in fact been taken away. He was taken away and it happens in this like really spectacular way. There is a whirlwind and chariots of fire and and horses of fire. It's crazy. It's nuts. But then all of a sudden what we see here is Elijah is on his own and you can't, help but wonder what will this be like for him at this point? Well, it's almost like God wants to immediately relieve any type of worries we may have because you see two things happening right away. First, he strikes a rock and guess what happens? That river Jordan that they just crossed over together, it parts again. And this time, Elijah, he crosses over on dry ground by himself. And then secondly, He goes into a city called Jericho and the people there are saying, listen, the land is great, but the water is really bad. In fact, it's so bad that it's causing all kinds of destruction, death especially. And so what does Elijah do? He gets a bowl of water, he puts some salt in it, he throws some salt into the water and then bam, the water is healed. And you see these things and you want to say, man, right? It feels like Elijah has not skipped a beat. Like God really is continuing his work from one prophet to the next, even though Elijah is gone. Now, here's the thing, right? There's two ways that we can interpret what's happening here in this passage. We can look at these two situations and say one of two things. One, we can say, well, I guess maybe Elijah is just as much of a stud as Elijah was, right? Maybe Elijah is just as godly, or maybe just as skillful or just as wise as his mentor was. Maybe the search committee did a really great job of finding a a formidable uh, replacement for this prophet Elijah. That's how we usually think, right? When we have a stud, what do we think? We got to replace that stud with a stud. So when Jordan leaves, what do we got to do? We got to find the next Jordan. Or when Brady Boo leaves, what do we got to do? We got to find the next Brady. That's how we think. But I don't think that's the point of this passage at all. This is not what the passage is trying to tell us. You see, Elisha is not the next Elijah. Instead, what we're realizing is that God's work isn't dependent on any one person. No, God will accomplish his work using all kinds of people. He will raise up who he wants, when he wants, to accomplish what he wants. That's how he does it. And he can do it anytime. He isn't banking on any of our skills or abilities to to fulfill his will on this earth. Instead, he has a plan. He gives us what we need and he sends us out. That's how it works. And 7 Mile Road, that's really great news for us. And I'll close with this one point of application. That's really great news for us because you know what that means? That means brother, sister, God was at work before you and God will be still at work after you. God was at work before you and God will continue his work after you. And I, and I want to say, I want to say that in the most encouraging and comforting way as possible. Because I really want to say, brother, sister, God has used your life to do amazing things, to tell people about this great gospel, to, to point people to the truth that they're searching for. God has used your life so that others would know how deeply loved they are by God. Would you imagine that he used your life to do that? But there will come a day when your work is done. And when that day comes, we can be absolutely certain that God's work will continue. He was at work before we were ever born and he will continue his work long after we're gone. And 7 Mile Road, you know what that means also for us? That means that the the long-term health or security of our church is not dependent on any one person in this church. It's not dependent on any one of our pastors or deacons or GCM leaders or any one of you. It's not how it works. Any one of us, any one of us can be removed from the equation and God will continue his work. That's how he does it. You know what that also means? That there are those among us, even right now, that he intends to raise up. That there are more people that he intends to raise up. Would you dream that with me for a second? Even especially for the children of our church. Would you consider that? Would you pray with me? That even as he calls our work to an end, that he would raise up children that will accomplish far more than we ever will, or who will go further than we ever have, or will reach more people than we ever can imagine. Why? Because we are confident that God who is with us is with them as well. And God who called us and used us will call them and use them as well. And he promises that he will finish what he has started. And he will use all kinds of people to do that. I wrote, these surely are uncertain times. As we sit here, there's a lot that we don't know for sure. That's, that's certain we also can be sure that there are things that we can be absolutely certain of. May God's word make us certain that he is still at work, that we have everything that we need because we have him, that God's work ultimately isn't dependent on any single one of us. Let's thank God for these truths and, and let's thank God that we can bank on them forever. Let's pray.